You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Karis. Thank you, Praise Team, for leading us this morning. And uh, for those that may not know me, my name is Tim. I serve here as pastor, and it's a delight to be with you, whether you're here two weeks, two months, two years, or 20, you're part of the family. So it's good to have you here with us. For those joining on, uh, on live stream as well, welcome. And as you may have remembered, we started a series last week in Mark's gospel called Jesus the Servant King. And Mark's gospel really is a beautiful mosaic in many ways that that Mark assembles along the way, giving us these, these like it's like a collage of Christ that he, he gives us as we join with him in the journey. And actually, um, last week, we began by looking at the beginning of the gospel and saw in verses one through three how Jesus is Isaiah's promised Lord. Promised Lord, whose identity is the Messiah and the Son of God is the key that unlocks the entire gospel of Mark. Then in verses four through eight, we saw how John the Baptist is the prophet Malachi's promised Elijah-like figure that has come to prepare the way for Jesus by calling people to repentance. So actually this mosaic here of Mark, um, if you, I wanted to put this image up on screen because if you zoom out from the artwork that we're actually using for this series, this mosaic is found in Bosnia and it is, this particular mosaic is called the Mosaic of the Baptism of Jesus Christ by St. John the Baptist. It's at St. James Church in Bosnia. And so I wanted to be able to zoom out there and give us a little bit of a, a, a picture of where, where we get this particular artwork from. But this morning we are still in the introduction of Mark. And this story that we find is really like the high point in the introduction there between verses one and 13. The baptism and testing of Jesus is the high point that reveals Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. And so, would you join with me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together? Our Father, we praise you for your life-giving word. And we praise you for your servants, these missionaries that we have heard of, Lord, that are, that are taking your life-giving word to the ends of the earth. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you empower them? Would you equip them for Christ-like living and service? Would you meet them in their own wilderness? And Father, thank you for how their faith, their diligence inspires us in the work of the gospel. Lord, would you find us faithful as well? 
And so use your word this morning. Would you plant your word firmly within us and may it translate not, not only from our head to our heart, but to our hands as well. And Father, with feet fitted with the gospel of grace, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John Milton's 1691 poem, Paradise Regained, written in 1691, is actually inspired by the baptism and testing of Jesus. And it starts off in this way. Actually, this is kind of a little bit further down within the first book of John Milton's poem. Now had the great proclaimer with a voice more awful than the sound of trumpet cried, repentance and heaven's kingdom nigh at hand. To all baptized, to his great baptism flocked with awe the regions round and with them came from Nazareth, the son of Joseph deemed to the flood Jordan came as then obscure, unmarked, unknown. But him the Baptist soon described, divinely warned and witness bore as to his worthier and would have resigned to him his heavenly office, nor was long his witness unconfirmed on him baptized, heaven opened. And in likeness of a dove, the spirit descended while the father's voice from heaven pronounced him as his beloved son. In our time together here this morning, we are going to dive into two scenes here at the end of Mark's introduction to the gospel of Mark. The first scene is the baptism of Jesus in verses nine through 11. And the second is the testing of Jesus in verses 12 and 13. So first, the baptism of Jesus. Right off the bat, in verse nine, we are introduced to a new phase in the story, a new character who arrives on the scene and what is in many ways a paradoxical baptism that takes place. This new phase is signaled by the phrase, at that time, at that time, probably around AD 28 to 29 when Jesus was in his early 30s. And this new character that arrives on the scene is Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, who kind of arrives abruptly. You know, in comics, we're used to, you know, kind of a, a more well laid out origin story, right? Well, Mark just has Jesus bust onto the scene here and he comes from Nazareth, a town in rustic Galilee, about 70 miles north of Jerusalem where Jesus spends most of his early life. I, I'm really curious here, just by way of show of hands, who is from a town less than 10,000 people? Less than 10,000, okay. We're primarily working over here, but I thought I saw one. Okay, keep those hands up. Loud and proud, keep those hands up. Okay, less than a thousand. All right, we're doing well. Any up there? How about 500? Oh man, do I see anyone else? This is like, this reminds me of the anniversary dance at weddings. I don't know what's going on here, but I think it's Chelsea. Do I see any other hands? Somebody else helped me out too, but. Chelsea, what's your hometown? Seminar? Sumner, Michigan. Population? 200. That's awesome. I wish I had a prize for you, but I don't. <laughs> Other than go Sumner. That's awesome. You know, um, I remember visiting with, uh, with a, a dear friend in, in Colorado at the time, and he was a pastor of another church, and in his profile, he put a refugee from Iowa 
like in his bio, a refugee from Iowa. I was like, what in the world does that mean? And I asked him about it. He said, I was like, where are you from? He's like, oh, you wouldn't know. I'm like, no, seriously, it's trying me. He's like, oh, it's Southern, you know, Southern Iowa. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's do this. You know, where in Southern Iowa? I have family there. He's like, well, it's like South Central. It's a really tiny little town. I'm like, come on, try me. He said, Kellerton, Iowa. I'm like, oh, that's where my grandma is from. And we dialed it even further. His dad, who was a Methodist minister, did the marriage, did the wedding for my grandparents in Kellerton, Iowa, population like, I think also 200, somewhere right around in there. Oh man, Jesus being from, I mean, nowheresville, it hurts me to say that now that you just, we just talked about Sumner, Michigan. I'm sorry, Chelsea. But it stresses his humanity and contrasts with the more urban Judean folks that John was baptizing. And I think we might expect here, maybe in Mark's gospel, a more eye-catching first appearance. But Mark highlights Jesus' humble beginnings from the very beginning. And we've been prepared for this one to come who is more powerful, who is more worthy, and whose baptism, John explained, in the Holy Spirit is far superior. And yet here's Jesus, paradoxically baptized by John in the Jordan. We might wonder why is Jesus baptized in this way? Matthew's gospel actually teases this out, kind of works through the tension of this a little bit more, kind of that exchange between John saying, you, I need to be baptized by you. Mark doesn't have it. He just, he just lives right in the tension of that. And it wasn't because Jesus sinned or needed to repent, no. I believe in his baptism, Jesus identified with sinful humanity and that he authenticated or he lent, lent credence to John's message of repentance and rest, the coming restoration through God's spirit. And I think there's a striking but deliberate contrast between back in verse five and then also here in verse nine. In verse five, we have the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were baptized by John in the Jordan. Whereas in verse nine, we have Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee was baptized by John in the Jordan. Here it is Jesus already taking the place of the many. He does not withdraw himself from the plight of the people, but identifies with them and is bound up in their own experience. Well, then in verses 10 and 11, then we get three confirming signs of Jesus' identity that are closely tied to the coming of the kingdom. And the first sign is the, the tearing of the heavens the tearing of the heavens, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Verse 10, he saw heaven being torn open. Just as, or immediately as the ESV has as one of Mark's favorite words, it appears some 41 times, marking a, a sense of urgency in his writing. And when Jesus emerges from the water, it is as if all heaven breaks loose. The word for torn here is a cataclysmic word like a bolt of lightning splitting a tree or like a piece of fabric that is torn, ripped in two, conveying that what is opened cannot be closed. I'm sorry, what is open can be closed, but what is torn cannot be returned to its previous state. The prophet Elijah, or the prophet Isaiah, sorry, prayed that God would rend the heavens and come down in Isaiah 64, verse one, to rend the heavens and come down, to make his name known 
and to do awesome and mighty things that no one expects. And I believe that God answered Isaiah's prayer in the dawning of the new age through Jesus. When the heavens were opened, the heavens were torn. Well, the second confirming sign is the descent of the spirit upon him like a dove. This phrase, like a dove, is, a dis- is one of description. It's a descriptive contrast. The spirit is not a dove, but descends like one. It is a dove-like descent. And the descent of the spirit marks him as the one anointed to bring good news. We might hear echoes of, of uh, Isaiah 61 in those words marks him as the one anointed to bring good news, empowers him for ministry and signals the beginning of the new creation. In Genesis 1 verse 2, the spirit hovered over the waters of a formless void. Here the spirit hovers over the son of God in the Jordan. The third confirming sign is then this beautiful declaration from heaven. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. These are the words that any child longs to hear from their parents. With you, I am well pleased. With the Father's voice thundering from heaven, we get this picture here of all three persons of the Trinity that are present at Jesus' baptism. And the Father's declaration weaves together three Old Testament allusions, giving us a powerful reminder that Jesus comes in the way of his people. He comes as Israel's Messiah. You are my son. An allusion to Psalm 2-7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This Psalm, Psalm 2, is a Psalm celebrating the enthronement of the king who is here called God's son to rule over God's people. And this is the second announcement here within Mark's gospel in a short amount of time of Jesus' eternal relationship to God as the son of God recognizing Jesus as the true king of the new people of God. You are my son, whom I love. This recalls Abraham's love for Isaac in Genesis 22, verse two. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region I will show you. You know, our family read actually this passage last night And one of the things that we are very keen on telling our children every day is that mommy and daddy love you and we always will no matter what. Often Izzy will go, no matter what? No matter what. This declaration of the father's love for the son highlights their special relationship and the son's uniqueness as well. And we will hear this reaffirmed by the father at what takes place later in Mark's gospel, the transfiguration This time for the other hearers, when God says, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. With you, I am well pleased. Echoes Isaiah 42, verse one. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 42 is part of the first of what are called the servant songs in Isaiah. And the most famous probably being the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. With you, I am well pleased, recognizes Jesus as the servant of the Lord, anointed with God's spirit 
to be a light to the nations. I love the way that the, the New Living Translation puts this phrase in translating it, I take great delight in you. Again, the words that every, every child longs to hear from their parents. I take great delight in you. With this declaration from heaven, Jesus is commissioned for his God-given mission and identified as the son of God. Again, first announced in chapter one, verse one. And so the bottom line of these verses here, nine through 11, is that the baptism of Jesus confirmed his identity as the unique son of God and commenced his ministry as the spirit anointed servant. Jesus is God's beloved son and the promised Messiah in the line of David who would defeat God's enemies and inherit the nations, according to Psalm 2. And Jesus is the spirit anointed servant who willingly accepts the way of suffering, opens the eyes of the blind, Isaiah 42, and brings justice to the nations. These twin truths prepare us then for Jesus' paradoxical ministry in Mark's gospel as the servant king, the servant king. And so by way of takeaway, the truth that Jesus is the unique son of God and spirit anointed servant beckons us to believe in Jesus and to be baptized in his name. Jesus is the unique son of God and spirit anointed servant. And he beckons us to believe in Jesus Believe in him and be baptized in his name. Just as Moses, if you think about that story, Moses gave up his privileged position to identify with his people and to deliver them. So Jesus humbled himself and stood with sinners to liberate us from sin through the cross. It was his baptism that set him on the road marked with suffering. And the truth revealed at his baptism calls us to acknowledge Jesus as the son of God and to love and take pleasure in him just as he loves and takes pleasure in you and me. It is worth noting that the father declared, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased before Jesus had done anything. Before he had done anything. His great love for us is unconditional. It is not contingent on anything that we do. Believe in the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. And once you have believed, be baptized in his name, but in a new and different way. In our baptism, we identify in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Romans 6 kind of paints this picture for us. Verses three and four, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order, baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Well, following the divine declaration that Jesus is God's son, this inauguration of his public ministry, Jesus is not treated to a parade. He is not thrown any sort of celebration. No, he is appointed by the spirit to a meeting with Satan in the wilderness. Heaven had opened, now hell opens. And so that second scene of the testing of Jesus in 12 and 13 contains the spirit's leading, a bleak setting, the duration of the testing, the ongoing nature of that testing, as well as the surprising 
company. And so, first, the Spirit's leading. It is clear from the beginning here in the scene, at once the Spirit sent him out. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, when he is ready to move forward, it is as if the Spirit of God divinely orchestrates this time of testing in the wilderness, having him take a step back. This is the third mention of the Spirit here already in Mark's gospel. And the word for sent here means drove or compelled. It is the same term used in Mark's gospel for the driving out of demons. Not only is Jesus empowered by the Spirit, but he is also directed by the Spirit. I believe Mark is deliberate in the word that he chooses there. The Spirit leads from the beginning and the setting is bleak. It is in the wilderness. In Israel's history, the wilderness was a place of new beginnings and of hope as we saw last week, but it is also a place of testing where the people of Israel were tested in Deuteronomy 8. And as well as a place of danger, despair, desolation, and even demons, as we see in in Luke 8. The imagery here is similar to that found in Leviticus 16.21, where the scapegoat had all of the sins of the people laid on it and then was sent into the wilderness. So not only is the setting bleak, but Mark emphasizes the ongoing nature of this testing. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. Or I'm sorry, the the duration of his testing. He was in the wilderness 40 days. This theme, the 40-day theme, is one that is woven throughout Scripture. If you think about it, Noah and the ark endured 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Moses met with God on the mountain for 40 days before bringing down the Ten Commandments. The spies are sent for 40 days to explore the land. Goliath taunts the armies of Israel for 40 days. And Elijah the prophet traveled 40 days in the wilderness to Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19. Think about this comparison here. Israel had passed through the Red Sea, had the Holy Spirit set among them, was called God's son, and was driven into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus went through the waters, received the Spirit, was declared God's Son, and driven into the wilderness for 40 days. This phrase, being tempted by Satan in verse 13, implies that this testing was ongoing. It was one of constant constancy. And while Matthew and Luke's gospel records three specific temptations that take place, it is enough for Mark to show that Satan does not gain the upper hand that Satan does not defeat him. Satan literally means adversary. In the New Testament, it is used of the personal and insidious enemy of God. Israel's time in the wilderness was one of testing and preparation for the establishing of the nation. And the one who comes to deliver God's people goes through a similar period of testing. James Edwards is a theologian that helped me kind of wrestle with what this meant when he writes, The temptation establishes the free, sovereign agency of Jesus, who, like all human agents, must choose to make God's will his own. The significance of that choice can be realized only in the context of an alternative and opposite choice posed by God's adversary. Hence, Jesus must be tempted by Satan. Well, this testing includes some surprising company. 
think you might've caught that here at the end of the text when it says he was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. In the wilderness, Jesus is threatened by evil and endangered from wild animals. This lends to the, that imagery of the wilderness as a place of desolation, a dangerous place. And the angels minister to him and protect him along with then also, as we saw at the beginning of verse 12, the personal presence of the Holy Spirit as well. Picture two battle lines that are drawn up here. Forces arrayed against one another. On the one side is the Spirit of God and the angels of God. And on the other side is Satan and the wild animals engaged in conflict with one another. Church, here is the bottom line in these verses. The testing of Jesus shows that the battle against the powers of darkness had begun and that Jesus succeeded where Adam and Israel failed. The first victory over Satan continues throughout Mark's gospel as Jesus drives out demons. He heals the sick and he proclaims the good news of the gospel. And the battle culminates in the cross where Jesus becomes the snake-crushing Savior. Jesus emerges victorious as the second and final Adam. Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter five. But for Mark, Jesus' ministry begins under the direction of the Holy Spirit in the wilderness where he resists Satan's ongoing testing, is ministered to by the angels and signals that the new day of salvation is here. Church, the testing of Jesus should encourage us and bring us hope when we face our own trials and temptations. I know, I don't know about you, but I can identify with this. Perhaps you have faced a time of great spiritual renewal, a great spiritual experience. We might call it a mountaintop experience and then came crashing down into one of those valleys, followed by a fierce spiritual attack even of some sort. And I believe that is what takes place here. It is vital like Jesus that we are led and driven by God's spirit. May we not venture out on our own without the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And remember that Jesus did not fight alone. All the powers of heaven were on his side and they are on ours as well. God is there in the wilderness of our lives. He never abandons us just as he did not abandon his son. And in the midst of our own wilderness, let us trust in God's protection. Let us trust in his provision. Jesus knows what we are going through. He has already been there. He knows the way and he calls us to follow him. I believe in just these short verses here that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God is on full display. This gospel that begins with all of heaven holding its breath as the spirit hovered over the face of the waters in anticipation of God's mighty act of creation. God created Adam and Eve in his image and gave them the task of ruling his good world as his vice regents, dwelling safely with the animals in the garden. When Satan tempted them, they rebelled against their creator, usurping his rule and were driven into the wilderness. But God did not give up on us. And he began planting the seeds among the history of his people for our own rescuer, beginning with Abraham. 
Abraham who declares his love for his only beloved son, Isaac. It was in the wilderness that God's people were tested for 40 years and learned to trust in him before crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land. And the psalmist envisions God's son ruling as king over his people, defeating God's enemies and him inheriting the nations. The prophet Isaiah appeals to the Lord, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isaiah pictures the anointed one on whom God's spirit rests and points forward to this suffering servant who will bring justice to the nations. God's silence at the end of the prophets in the Old Testament causes God's people to long for him to speak once more. And suddenly, John appears on the scene. John appears calling people to repentance. At just the right time, God sent his son from the obscure town of Nazareth to identify with sinful humanity in his baptism, pointing forward to his taking place for the many, taking place of the many. The baptism of Jesus confirmed his identity as the unique son of God and commenced his ministry as the spirit-anointed servant. And the testing of Jesus shows that the battle against the powers of darkness had begun and that Jesus succeeded where Adam and Israel had failed. Jesus willingly accepted then this path of suffering. And in Mark 10, 38, baptism, this concept of baptism is actually substituted for suffering. When Jesus asked, can you be baptized with the baptism I will be baptized by? His baptism was the cross. When his task was complete, there was another tearing. When the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying direct access to God's presence through Jesus. And in the very next verse, Jesus' identity as the son of God is declared once more through the unexpected voice of the Roman centurion who says, surely this man was the son of God. With his baptism of suffering complete, Jesus emerged victorious from the grave. He spent 40 days then explaining to his followers about the kingdom of God before being taken up into heaven once more, ascending to the Father's right hand and then pouring out his life-giving spirit upon our hearts. It is through Christ that we can be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And hear God come to say to us, you are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. We may find ourselves in the wilderness, facing times of trial and testing, but we can stand firm because we are planted firmly in the way of the high priest who, according to Hebrews 4, was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So church, we look forward to that day when he will rend the heavens once more and come down in great power and glory. When the wilderness will give way to the garden city with the river running through it, the wolf will lie down with the lamb 
And we will be among the multitude of angels who cry out day and night, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amen, church. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for these power-packed scenes. And oh, Lord Jesus, what took place at the beginning of your, of your ministry among us. Father, we thank you for this divine declaration that you pronounced over your son, who you love, your son in whom you are well-pleased. And we thank you that you give us those same words. Father, would you walk with us through your spirit in our own wilderness? As we face our own times of testing and of trial, Lord, thank you that you are there. Lord Jesus, that you have gone before us, that you know the way and that you beckon us to follow. Lord Jesus, may we follow you in the costly way of discipleship, remembering that your baptism was the cross. We worship you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and matchless and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.